Good morning again to all of you who are joining us online for our Sunday morning service. We're entering uh, two months of of this whole social distancing and and, uh, social isolation deal, Uh, this experience of living apart. For Easter weekend, uh, my highlight was, was actually doing a Zoom call with my mother. And get this, folks, my mom does not even have the internet, so this was actually... Uh, involved quite a bit of family creativity, but we got her done, and it was so good to see my mom online. But I wonder this morning, how are you doing? Are, are you okay? For, for some of you I know, you're kind of needing this season. This has been, like I've said, God's gift of a sabbatical for you, and, and then for others, you're scrambling to make life work right now. You're just wondering, how does this work? I, I, I talked to school teachers this week who feel like They've entirely had to retool how they teach. And for some of you, you live alone, and, and you're just you're longing for human touch. And some of you, you live with others, and you're just longing to be separate. <laughs> Lord bless you. Wherever you are at today, we, we care about you. And, and a bunch of us every day gather together to, to pray, and we pray for you in every way we can think of, and, and we do that daily. And this is the week after we've celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And I think no matter what is going on in the world right now, Jesus' life given for us, uh, Jesus being risen for us, this is awesome news that brings great hope, not just for us, but for everyone and for this whole sorry world. And and this morning, I want to lean into this good news for just a a few minutes, looking at three resurrection encounters that the Esteban family read earlier. We find them in John chapter 3, John chapter 20, I should say, and they took place in a garden and in a locked room. So we're looking at John 20, but I want to back up to the final verses of John chapter 19, where it says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. When Angel and I uh, visited Israel, we were in Jerusalem a few years ago. Our hotel was about five-minute walk from what this place they called the garden tomb. And, and many years ago, the archaeologists had discovered this this tomb carved in the rock from ancient days, uh, complete with a a stone track in which a a stone tomb covering would would be rolled in front of it. And they're pretty certain this wasn't Jesus's tomb. It was from the second or or third century. But this garden tomb gave us a a real concrete picture of, of what Jesus's tomb would have looked like, where Jesus had been laid Actually, Jesus' tomb was, was near Golgotha, which historians and archaeologists suggest at one time it was a stone quarry that eventually got turned into a, a garbage dump, which eventually became a garden. So on Good Friday, Jesus is, is laid to rest in this garden tomb. And on Sunday, John records that Mary Magdalene has this encounter with the risen Jesus and she mistakes him for a gardener. It's, it's a mistake, but, but is it really? As someone once put it, Jesus is the gardener that turns garbage dumps into gardens. I, I love this. Uh, author and pastor Brian Zond, he wrote this book, The Unvarnished Jesus. 
And in it, he says, Jesus is not a conductor punching tickets for a train ride to heaven. Christian hope, he says, is is not about getting from earth to heaven. It's about getting heaven to earth. And he goes on to say, Jesus is not a lawyer to get us out of a legal jam with an angry judge. God is not mad at sinners. And he says, Jesus is not a banker making loans from his surplus righteousness. You know, we do love our economic metaphors, but sometimes they don't quite work. Jesus is a gardener. And what does he grow? Resurrection. He's a gardener who's cultivating resurrection in life in, in all those who would come to him, bringing life where there's loss, bringing hope where there's despair. He's He's cultivating, nourishing, nourishing goodness in the lives of his follow, followers. He's transforming the broken into the restored and the renewed. Um, many of you would know that I'm not really much of a gardener myself. Mind you, with COVID-19, I'm, I'm spending more time in the garden than I ever have because, like, what else are you going to do right now? Um, but as I was thinking about Jesus the gardener, I, I could not help but think about my dad. My dad, my mom too, they, they loved to garden. My dad had a gift. Um, he had a, a, a green thumb and, and it somehow did not get passed on to my generation, or at least not to me. Um, he, was in, he was always in the garden. In, in winter, he'd be doing it inside. He had a boatload of indoor garden plants. African violets were his specialty. And when I was a kid, watching my, my parents' garden, all I could see as a kid was all the hard work, you know, tilling the soil and planting and, and fertilizing and, and watering and, and weeding, all this kind of stuff. It seemed so much. The only part I liked was picking strawberries, uh, beans, and peas, and, and I'd eat them as I went. But looking back, I can so much more appreciate my dad's patience I can see my dad's commitment to this slow process of growth, his attentiveness to the the conditions of the soil and and, and to the weather. And my dad took great care to to nurture these plants that would eventually reward our neighborhood with such gorgeous flowers and and beauty and and reward our family with some amazing farm-to-table meals. All our meals seemed to be farm to table back then. Jesus is a gardener. He's a master horticulturalist. And he isn't afraid to get his hands dirty in the soil of our broken lives and lost dreams and our wounded hearts, our our disappointments, even in our hurting community. Jesus is a gardener with a good heart and a really green thumb which means that my life and, and your life and our whole world is, is never so diseased, it's never so blighted, it's, it's never so repulsive that Jesus can't turn us into something beautiful. In fact, the empty tomb is, is the open door that leads us away from the ugly world of garbage dumps and back home to a, a God-intended garden. Think Eden Restored. I love how G.K. Chesterton writes about Easter as the inauguration of the new world with Jesus as the gardener. He writes, he says this, on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place 
found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and resembling the gardener. God walked again in the garden in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. And what Chesterton is saying is that in Jesus, in his resurrection, the world is now bursting with resurrection potential. There's now nothing beyond his reach. There's now nothing his resurrection life and power can't transform. Now, it's often not an instant transformation. He's not like some banker's transaction or lawyer's brief. It's gardening. That's slow work. It's, it's cultivating. And the first question I guess I want to ask you right now, that today and in this season that we're in, what is God cultivating in you right now? What, what is God wanting to grow in you during this time? I asked this question of some of you earlier this week, what character trait is Jesus shaping in you right now? It'd be a good question to ask. You know, there's something about what we're going through together which makes for ripe conditions for growth. I think of the normal temptations of our lives to put our, our hope and our faith in our education and in our, our jobs, uh, in our titles, in our bank accounts, our finances, our comfort. And, and somehow, as, as many have noticed, COVID-19 has kind of shaken all of that up, right? And, and it's maybe exposing where we have actually put our trust. If we're panicking in, in this season, it may be that, that our idols have been shaken just a little bit. They've been threatened. Or, or maybe it, it's revealing right now what we have put our, our, our identity in and, and our security in that's not God. Maybe for some of you that Jesus being the gardener is, is wanting to, to realign you with a, a Christ-centered life where you find Jesus as your identity and your security. For some of you, Jesus is growing in you a desire to pray. I, I think it was Time Magazine that was observing this week that, that right now people with no faith are, are trying out prayer. It's kind of happening all over the place. We're, we're hearing reports. It, it, it's like the problem of this pandemic is, is so great that human solutions seem kind of like insufficient right now, don't they? So like, why not pray? Um, the Apostle Paul describes kind of a similar situation that he's in. And, and listen to what he says. This is so good. Some of you can probably relate. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt like we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. As, as someone once said, man's extremity is God's opportunity. And, and maybe Jesus, the gardener right now, is cultivating in you a desire to reach out to him, to, to, to learn this language of, of prayer, to to practice disciplines like silence and solitudes and, 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 and practicing the presence of God and learning to rely on him in a new way. What about patience? 
Is, is God growing patience in you right now? I think he's trying to grow patience in all of us. Or generosity. There's just, again, so many opportunities to stretch ourselves in, in meeting needs right now. Compassion. Uh, maybe he's growing you relationally. You're, you're living in, in close quarters with some people, and Jesus is challenging you to love your neighbor, who sometimes is your enemy, who happens to be your screaming child, uh, your sibling, your, your, your parent, your your friend, your roommate. Let, let me ask you again, what character trait is Jesus forming in you right now? And how might you partner with him in that work? The second Jesus encounter we see in, in John 20 is found in verses 19 and on. We read it was Sunday night. This is the Sunday night of that first Easter weekend. Jesus is risen in the morning. And it then says, when the disciples were together with the doors Locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, it's not surprising the disciples were afraid and had locked themselves away. The, the threat of discovery by the very authorities who had orchestrated Jesus' execution must have felt very real to them. And when Jesus arrives, uh, it's so cool. He, he doesn't wait outside. He doesn't knock on the door. He just appears in the room. He, he meets them in their fear, and he greets them with peace. And isn't it true? Fear can, can so often, I think, feel like a, a locked room in our hearts uh, uh, that's hard to mentally or emotionally escape from. And I, I, I think we can all relate to the types of fears that, that we try to numb with Netflix or to scroll away from through social media. But our deepest fears often seem to keep us in a locked room. It's, uh, it's strange reflecting on this passage when we're kind of in our own lockdown right now. You know, we're staying at home we're often behind locked doors, not to hide like the disciples, but to protect ourselves and others from COVID-19. But let me ask you, what fears are, are locking you down right now? What, what fears are containing you? I think this, this whole picture of this locked room is a good image for us right now. Jesus breaking into this locked room and offering his peace. Think of what Jesus could have said to these guys, you know, guys, why did you flee? Peter, why did you deny me? What were you guys thinking? Ye of little faith. You know, remember when Jesus is with the disciples in the storm, in the boat, and he rebukes the storm, but then he actually, after that, he rebukes their fear. But in this, this passage, there is no rebuke by Jesus at all. There's just his words, peace be with you. It tells me that there are times where Jesus needs to rebuke our fear. There are, there are times where he needs to remind us that in light of God's love and in light of the security that we have in him, his, his welcome, his embrace, his care, that we need not be afraid. It's actually illogical to be afraid. And, and sometimes we'll actually need to rebuke our own fears. Have you ever done that? Like told them to, enough is enough? You're not having any say in my life today? Sometimes that's really good is to rebuke your own fears. But there are times also, I think, when, when we simply need the loving presence of Jesus to, to break into our lives, when we're 
are the most weakest, when we're the most vulnerable, when we're most afraid, to have the, the risen Jesus speak to our locked-in fears and bring his peace. Again, let me ask you, what fear are you wrestling with right now? It's a good thing to be honest about, just to be open and, and identify and sort of name it in some ways. I want to invite you, why don't you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to pray it. You can just repeat it. I'll do it a couple times, but why don't we pray this together? Jesus, I ask you, please break into the place of my fear and bring your peace. Jesus, I ask you, break into the place of my fear and bring your peace. And folks, you can take this to the bank. He wants to give that to you today. He wants to to bring your peace in, in those places where you're most afraid. You can count on that. Now, as we write in this encounter Jesus had with his disciples, one of the disciples is missing. Thomas isn't there. Let's just read about him uh, again. Verse 24, it reads, Now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Uh, Many of you know this, that Thomas had kind of an unfortunate nickname, you know, Doubting Thomas. And it's this deal, this episode in the locked room that actually gave him this reputation. Now, I've often thought that, that Thomas kind of got a, a raw deal, that the, the church, the, the way we kind of talk about him. I mean, earlier in John, in John 11, he's the disciple that has faith to follow Jesus to Jerusalem, to, to what seemed like certain death. But we don't call him faith-filled Thomas or Thomas the brave. We call him Thomas the doubter, you know, defined and, and named by this one moment of what seems to be actually quite reasonable, logical disbelief. Who knew Jesus was going to rise from the dead? Who anticipated that, that the laws of, of biology and, and sin and death would be upended by Jesus? All the other disciples were saying, we, we've seen the Lord. And, and he's like, this is unbelievable. I don't believe it. I'll, I'll need more than just your say-so to believe. And, and isn't this true for us too? Like, like somewhere along the way in our, our journey, our faith has to become our own. You know, you know growing up in a Christian home uh, with, with Christian parents who believe that's not enough to have a real faith, or, or growing up in a, in a Christian culture uh, isn't enough to have a real faith. At some point, our faith in Christ needs to be our own. It needs to be a real faith that we hold. That, that was my story. I, I grew up in the church. I, I, my dad was a pastor and great gardener, great pastor, but I... I was at church all the time. I, I remember praying a prayer when I was quite young to receive Christ. But, but throughout my, my teen, my childhood and my teen years, doubt was like my middle name. I struggled to know for sure that God was real and that Christianity was true. And at one point, I was 17, I had a, 
a defining moment. I mean, it changed my life uh, where I had a real encounter, kind of like Thomas had, like the disciples had had with Jesus that was undeniable for me. And, and it was interesting. In that encounter, it was like Jesus specifically addressed the doubts that I held. <laughs> I love that about Jesus. He meets us where we're at, and he knows what we need. Thomas named a, a very specific thing that he'd need to see to believe in Jesus. Remember, un- unless I see the holes in his, in his hands and the hole in his side, I won't believe. And when Jesus meets Thomas, what does Jesus say to him? Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love that. And maybe for some of you, you've struggled with a particular doubt or a question, maybe for a long time. Can I say this this morning? Jesus knows your doubts. <laughs> he knows our fears, but he's, he's never surprised or shocked by our doubts. Something I appreciate about Thomas, though, is, is notice where Thomas is. He was still in the community of faith. He, he, was, he was there the next week in that locked room with the disciples. I, I know there are those of you who, who struggle with questions that continue to nag you about Christianity or about faith in Jesus, but somehow you're here. I mean, you're, you're somehow connected to, to Christian community. And, and, and part of an honest wrestling with your doubts is to be around others who do believe, who have a testimony, who have witnessed his reality. And, and maybe it's sometimes even appropriately, gently I hope, but appropriately challenge your unbelief and challenge your doubts. I mean, Jesus at the end of this says quite boldly to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And maybe he's saying some of that to you this morning. I I wonder if anyone has challenged you to challenge your doubts. A friend of mine actually wrote a book named um, Wrestling With My Doubts. I think it's such a great title. Have you done this? I I don't think it's always wise to let our doubts be the loudest voice in our lives. So let me ask you this question to kind of reflect on and, and pray about. What are your questions and doubts in this moment? Let's just pause and, and listen for a bit. Just have a moment of quiet. And then why don't we pray this prayer? Jesus, I ask you to meet us like Thomas, in the place of our uncertainty. And why don't we pray for those in our lives who maybe struggle to know that Jesus is real and and alive and offering them new life. Can you think of family or friends or, or people you know, people you love? Why don't we take a moment and just lift them up before Jesus right now? Jesus, we ask you to address our friends' doubts and would you make yourself tangible and real to them today 
break into their lives with your hope and with your peace. Amen. You know, according to church tradition, Thomas the Doubter made it all the way to India, sharing the good news of Jesus until he was martyred for his faith. What a difference one encounter with Jesus makes. Just to wrap up, let me cycle back to one of the central verses of this passage. And in that locked room with the disciples, Jesus repeats himself. It's actually a good repetition. I like it. In verse 21, we read, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Sometimes you're going to need to hear Jesus repeat that again and again into your life. Peace be with you. And he speaks that to us. But he goes on to say, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I I love that. We've seen so far Jesus, the gardener, the one who transforms garbage dumps into gardens and who cultivates life in our lives and and, and our character. And, And we see Jesus, the fear breaker, you know, the one who, who steps into those places where we are locked down in our fears and he speaks and pronounces his peace over us. And, and we see in that same room where fear ruled the day, but, but now Jesus is the doubt fighter. I'm going to call him Mr. Doubt Fire. Isn't that good? Don't you think that's good? I think that's really good, Mr. Doubt Fire. I'm serious. I'm finding it a little bit amusing. But he meets us right where we are in our doubting, and he offers us faith. Here's the thing. Jesus is not content to just offer his words of encouragement to us. He wants to give us more than just his peace. He wants to breathe on us his spirit and his life and his power. He said, it's going to be good when I go away because I'm going to send you the spirit, this amazing, amazing gift. I saw this great tweet this week that said this, God's loving presence surrounds us like air. It is the atmosphere we live in. We simply need to stop holding our breath. Isn't that good? Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, would you again open our eyes to see you alive and present and powerful today? Spirit of God, would you infuse all that we do and say with the hope of resurrection life, help us to breathe in all that you would give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good. I want to just remind you before we wrap up, um, we love to pray in this church and we believe prayer makes a big difference. And so uh, we'd love for you, if you're going through something, if if you need help, if you need prayer, please just, we've got a prayer request form on on, on our website, on the online page. Just fill that out and we would love to pray with you. We've got a team of people who pray and they'd love to pray for you. Um, if you need healing prayer, if you're, you're sick or, or struggling with some illness of some kind, um, you can make an appointment. We've got a, a healing ministry on Tuesday nights, and you can make an appointment to have a couple of our experienced prayers pray with you over that and, and 
that might be just what you need. And we'd encourage you to take, take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and as we said, in just a couple minutes, like, like almost now, uh, you'll be able to go on to our Zoom link. Uh, you can find that on our online page again on the top right corner. If you haven't used Zoom before, there's some simple instructions about how to, to come on. Uh, we'll mute you when you come on, and you can click to raise your hand, and I'll try to facilitate the chaos of a large Zoom call, I hope. But we'd love to, it'd be great just to see one another and uh, take some opportunity to introduce each other. And, and so please feel free to join us in our virtual lobby uh, right after the service. If you'd like to, we'd love to have you join us for, for a few minutes or a, a little longer. Love to do that. But first, before we do that, let me offer you this benediction. Wherever you are, wherever you're at, may you know the tangible presence of the living God breaking into your life by the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.